And take your Bible with me tonight, turn to 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 Thessalonians 5. A couple years ago for Christmas, I gave our, Shandy and I got our second son, Micah, a model of one of the Apollo rockets. Maybe you've seen this, a Lego model, and it has 1,969 pieces after the date that that aircraft went and it carried the men up to the moon in 19. 69 and it was pretty impressive to see that big book of instructions that if you've ever done lego models you know comes with it and it actually had multiple books to put all 1969 pieces together and when we got done i think the most incredible thing to me was to think about that some engineer actually designed a lego model that had exactly 1,969 pieces to put together this Apollo rocket. And when we got done, all 1,969 pieces were used on that rocket. And I thought, wow, that's impressive. Somebody put a lot of thought into designing this rocket, and we had a lot of fun putting it together. You know, when God puts things together, God doesn't have spare parts. He has a purpose for every single thing that he makes. And God does that especially, I think we can see that, in the body of Christ in the church. Sometimes we may feel like a spare part. You may look around at somebody else and think they may look like a spare part, but in reality there are no spare parts in the body of Christ. And 1 Thessalonians 5, and we're just going to look at two verses there tonight, for our text, verses 14 and 15, help us to understand how we, as believers in Jesus Christ, how we are to treat one another and minister one to another in the body of Christ. You know, we, as we get organized as a church, we have titles and positions and people who serve in various capacities. But you know, you don't need a title or a position, or uh, to be, even be asked to serve the Lord, God gives us His command right here. And I want you to look at that with me. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 14 says, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. See that... None render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Here in this text tonight, we're going to see five things that he's told us we are to do, and one thing that he says we are not to do. If we're going to be a church that is a healthy church, a church that is a disciple-making church, then that means we need to have the right attitudes and actions one toward another. And these commands here that we're going to look at tonight are not just given to the leadership of the church. Last week, Brother Joe Pete did a great job talking about the ministry to the shepherds. And this exhortation tonight is not just to the shepherds, just to the leaders. It's to all of the brethren. And these commands are for every part or every person that makes up the body of Christ. And this body, as I've already said, has no spare parts. I think that these things that we look at tonight ought to be true in each and every one of us. 
And so I hope you'll listen up as we look through these. These are really simple things, but these six points tonight I want to cover quickly. The first one, he exhorts us in verse 14. He says, to warn them that are unruly. I just put it this way, if you want to write out the full point, every member should warn the unruly. Another word for this unruly person in the church is somebody who's just idle. They are not fulfilling their daily duties and they need to be stirred up to action. Now, as dad in my house, sometimes that's my job to stir up those who are idle to action. If you have kids, you probably understand, hey, kids, let's go. Let's get ready. Everybody get your shoes on. Uh, tonight, we were getting ready to go out the door and I look over and there's two or three kids with no shoes on. I said, go get your socks and shoes. We've got to get to church on time. And so we need to warn or to exhort those, to encourage, to stir to action those who are unruly, the teacher at school, must do this with their students. The boss at work must do this with their employees. And you know, even within the church, and this is again not just to the leadership, this is to every one of us, we ought to be looking around to others and say, is there somebody I could encourage who's idle, who needs to be stirred to action? But you might say, well, pastor, if I were to do that, then some people might take it wrong. Or someone might be upset with me. They might find areas in my own life where they felt like they needed to speak into me and to warn me for doing wrong. So I think instead of just sitting around and pointing at others and telling others what to do, rather we ought to take the attitude that the Apostle Paul exemplified in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 1 when he said, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. We're not just armchair quarterbacking other people's spirituality. Rather, we ought to be living in such a way that our life is an example to the believers, an example of a believer in Jesus Christ. And in so doing, we ought to then speak to others and to motivate others to action by our example and, yes, by our words. I have found it is much easier to stir up someone else to action when you are already actively, faithfully serving God yourself. And this you know very well. Nobody wants to work for someone else who is lazy. Uh, but if you have a hardworking boss, you say, well, then I'm going to work hard with them. Nobody wants to have a lazy boss. And even probably worse that maybe than a lazy boss is trying to work alongside a lazy coworker because uh, they are sort of letting you do all of the work that you or that they should be helping you to do. And you know, the body of Christ functions a lot better when each person does their best and gives 100%. So he's very clear here in his first exhortation. Rule, or I'm sorry, warn the unruly. Warn the unruly. The second command or exhortation that he gives us is found directly after this, also in verse 14. He says, comfort the feeble-minded. Every member should comfort the feeble-minded or encourage the timid. 
there are always those among us who need encouragement. Those who are faint-hearted, those who are easily discouraged or find themselves despondent about the state that their life is in. They need to be cheered up. They need to be encouraged to press on and maybe some extra help to live the Christian life. This can happen to, for somebody who's a new believer. This could happen with somebody who's maybe been going through a great spiritual struggle in their life and they just find themselves sort of gun shy, if you will, not really wanting to press ahead, not wanting to walk by faith because they just either have not had much experience doing it or they feel like they've tried and they've just failed. And they feel discouraged and not wanting to get back up and continue on and they find themselves living a very timid Christian life. He says these folks need to be comforted, need comfort. He speaks and gives us a third exhortation to a third group of people and he says we are to support the weak. Support the weak. Every member should support the weak. The weak need help. Perhaps they've not learned to lean on the Lord as much as somebody who is stronger is. They uh, do not know how to go to the Lord in prayer and ask Him for help for their spiritual needs. Until they do, they need strong support from other believers. Even in this letter that Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica, back in chapter number 1 in verse 6, he says, "...ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction." with joy of the Holy Ghost. It's often that others will find help and strength in a fellow believer to help lead them towards spiritual strength in Christ. Ultimately, if you are the stronger believer, you know that your strength only comes from the Lord as well. And so you're only able to help bear someone else's burden as you give it to Christ yourself. People ask me from time to time, Pastor, how do you deal with all of the burdens and the struggles that people share with you? How do you deal with all the prayer requests and all the needs and all the counseling that goes on? I said, well, I don't deal with it very well on my own. I have to give it to the Lord in prayer because the reality is every one of us is weak in our own flesh. And so we must learn to take it to the Lord in prayer. But when you see someone else struggling who is weak in their faith, weak in their walk with the Lord, we ought to go out of our way to support that one that is weak. And then, and I'm driving towards this fourth point because he says then, he kind of wraps up these first three points in his fourth point when he says, be patient toward, and he really expands it out here, toward all men. So that means i got to be patient with the idol the lazy, the unruly. That means I have to be patient with the timid, those who just don't seem to have much gumption or will to get moving forward. I have to be patient even with the weak. Be patient toward all men. Now, it's very interesting to me here in this command exhortation to be patient toward all men that he includes right before it the unruly the weak the timid 
Why would he encourage us to take care of those who are weak, those who are struggling? I mean, don't you know if you're going to be the best that you're going to be, you need to just cast off all those things that are, are a distraction, all those things that aren't helping you move forward. Don't you, aren't you supposed to in life just look around and get rid of that stuff that's holding you back and just move forward? Well, that is true in a personal sense. The scripture tells us we're supposed to lay aside every weight, but he's not referring to you and me as those weights. He's referring to the sin that easily besets us. He's referring to those worldly things that often weigh us down as we get distracted by those things that are wrong around us. I'm so thankful that the Lord doesn't view people as dead weight. He doesn't view the people who make up the body of the church as something to be gotten rid of. God is in the business of restoration much more than He is in the business of amputation. There does come a time when the Lord does say it's time to remove, but it's not somebody who's a believer in Jesus Christ. It may be somebody who claimed to be but continues on in their sin, thereby proving their lack of repentance and wanting to move away from the body. But other than that, it's the goal even in that is always restoration. I find it very instructive and encouraging to know that we are exhorted to be patient one with another. Aren't you thankful that somebody is patient with you? Often it's, I think, easier for us to desire patience than it is for us to give patience. You know where patience comes from? We've talked about this a little bit on Sunday nights in our study through the book of James. But patience is something that is a fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22 says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering. There it is. Patience, gentleness, goodness, faith. Or we think about that even in regards to our love, one for another. 1 Corinthians 13.4, Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. To me, it's wonderfully encouraging to know that God values every member of the body of Christ. And I think if we're going to be a healthy church, we need to be a church not that looks to cut the dead weight, ignores those who are weak, runs over the feeble-minded, and just doesn't care about those who are struggling. No, it's a church instead that loves and comforts and encourages and strengthens and prays for and comes alongside of. You know, because that's what the Holy Spirit does for us. Jesus said when he left this, or before he left this earth and went up to heaven, he said, I'm going to go away, but he said, I'm going to send you a comforter. I'm going to send you a comforter, one who comes alongside of you, one who is there to encourage and there to help. To me, as I was studying through this passage of Scripture, it just caused me to look in my own life and then look around to the people in our church body and say, wow, well, first of all, who, who are those who are unruly or idle? Who needs to be stirred up to action? Who's timid? Who's feeble-minded and needs to be comforted? Who is weak that needs support? And then, oh, I'm supposed to be patient with all of those folks. Because, you know, none of us tends to change as quickly maybe as, as we should. 
we, we want others to change quickly, and we want people to give us lots of time. Somebody said it this way. It, we want mercy for me and justice for you, right? We want you to get all that you deserve, but I want everybody to be kind and merciful and understanding with me. Every member should be patient with every one. You know, the soldier on the battlefield understands the principle that you don't leave a brother behind. You don't leave someone behind in the battlefield. But how sad when a, in the Christian, in the body of Christ, we sometimes do opposite what even this world understands without the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. No sheep should be left behind. No soldier should be left behind. And that's why we have to be patient, long-suffering. I'm giving you these quickly tonight, and I'll make a few points at the end. But number five, if you're taking notes there, he gives us the next thing. And this is the one thing in this list that we're not supposed to do. But I think this is something that comes naturally for us. We are not to retaliate evil for evil. Notice in verse 15, see that none, that doesn't leave room for you. Well, I can do, you don't understand what happened to me. No, he's very clear. See that none render evil for evil unto, and he makes this really clear, unto any man, none and any. So you don't have any wiggle room here. There's no room for retaliation in the body of Christ. There's no room for retaliation in the life of a person who desires to be in a right relationship with God. So that tells me when I want to retaliate, and I have to be honest, that happens more often than I'd like to admit, but when I want to retaliate, that's not the Lord working in me. No, that's my own sinful flesh that needs to be dealt with. See that none render evil for evil unto any man. The opposite of patience is retaliation in some form, right? If I'm patient, then I'm not retaliating. But when I run out of patience, that's when I want to retaliate. I can't take it anymore. Every spouse understands this. Every mother or father understands this. Every child, every brother, sister, I think everyone who's ever lived understands wanting to retaliate. In fact, we see this kind of back and forth has gone on throughout the centuries. Wars have been caused by this. Uh, marriages have been broken up by this. Even families and children have been broken apart in their relationship because of retaliation. Well, they did it to me first, right? That's always they. He hit me first. She did that. She said that first. And so I am now justified by their action. Well, that would make sense to our flesh, to our human minds. But that goes against the Word of God. Even if the wrong done to you is done by someone else, even with evil intent towards you, you as the offended person has no right to repay wrong with wrong. Let me take you to the words of Jesus. 
because I can feel the tension in the room right now. Matthew 5, 38 to 45. Matthew 5, 38 to 45. Jesus said it this way. Ye have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. You're like, okay, I'm with you, Jesus. I like this. But, he says, I say unto you, that ye resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. Whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. Okay, Jesus, I got it. I, I won't retaliate. I'll love my neighbor, but I'll hate my enemy. That's okay, right? No, he said, I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. Our example in all of this is the Lord himself. These are verses that are much easier to read than they are to live. And I don't know about you, but as I even make these statements to you tonight, I feel in myself that fleshly response that wants to come out and say, but it's not fair sometimes, or you just don't understand, or I really am justified in doing it this way because you just don't know what they did to me. But I'm really thankful tonight that if you or I were to ever make that statement, you don't understand or you just don't know, we can't make that statement truthfully to God because God does know. He does understand. Remember what they said about Jesus when he was reviled? He reviled not again, but he went as a lamb to the slaughter. He went and he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our sin was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. You know, the church is supposed to be a place for peculiar people. That doesn't mean this is just a place where all the weirdos hang out, even though you might feel that way sometimes. What it means is the way that a Christian lives is not possible to be lived in your own strength. In fact, it is totally unnatural. It can only be done through the work of the Spirit in your life to transform you from the inside out. That's why we sang songs like we did tonight, Grace, Grace, God's Grace. Grace that is greater than all of my sin because I can't do this any more than you. You could go to Bible college, you can go to school, you can pastor a church. Those things don't exempt you from the flesh. The only thing that gives us strength over this kind of struggle is the Holy Spirit living inside of you and you pursuing a close and abiding relationship with Him day by day. And He truly will and He truly can transform you from the inside out. And that is what ought to set a church apart from the rest of the world. And that becomes magnetic 
to this world that is so twisted up and rotten and so focused on retaliation and so focused on me first and getting my own way. And when we follow the way of truth and the way of Scripture, it constantly makes us have to reevaluate our own lives and come back to the foot of the cross and say, Lord, forgive me for I have sinned. Like Isaiah said in chapter 6 of Isaiah, when he saw the Lord high and lifted up, he said, Woe is me, for I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. Here was Isaiah the prophet. I mean, if anybody was doing a good job, it should have been Isaiah the prophet. But no, he said, even he had to submit himself before the Lord. The way forward is not in our own strength. It's only through the strength that God gives. Romans chapter 12 says in verse 17, recompense, that means don't pay back, no man evil for evil, provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men, dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. You know, you can try to get revenge, and you might. But if you let God take care of the vengeance, He will always repay. He will always straighten it out. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil. With good. What did Jesus do before his own betrayer? Even before Judas had betrayed him, Jesus went and washed his feet just like he washed all the other disciples' feet. You think Jesus didn't know that Judas was about to betray him? Of course Jesus knew. He's God. He knows everything. But he loved him. He cared for him. He kept him as part of the rest of the disciples, even though he knew all along he was going to betray him. Jesus is our example. This can't be done in our strength. It must be done in His. 1 Peter 3, 9, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrary-wise, it does feel very contrary, blessing. Don't give evil, give blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. Isn't that encouraging? As you render blessings instead of cursings, God says there's a blessing in this for you. Several years ago, I had the opportunity to hear a man speak at an event that I was at. This was a man who God had blessed a lot in his finances, and he had invented a number of things, and he was a Christian man, and he'd put those, sold those inventions. He'd made lots of money, and he'd used that money to further the Lord's work and to support Christian missions and all kinds of things around the world. And one time he was speaking, and he talked about a particular uh, invention that he had made, and another man, another Christian brother came and laid claim to a portion of this invention. In fact, he even took him to court over it. And my friend said, I didn't want to be guilty of rendering evil for evil. He said, and I knew what Jesus said, that if somebody was going to sue you and take your coat, then give them your cloak. And he said, so I went to him and said, sir, it's not right for us to be in court for, with one another. This is a poor testimony for the, thing, for the things of the Lord as brothers in Christ. And he said, I gave him everything he was asking for and more. And people said, why would you do that? You didn't owe him that. He had no right 
You're right, he had no right. But who sets it straight in the end? Is it you and me or is it God? God will right all those wrongs. And you know what? Sometimes the things we get so caught up in in this life, when we hold them in comparison to what God has given us in eternity, they seem really small and insignificant. And it's significant in our moment where we live, but when you put it in comparison with all of eternity and having a relationship with God, it's really nothing. So let me give you the final exhortation that Paul gave this church in these two verses. At the end of verse 15, he says, But ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. This is a contrast, right, to what he's already said. Don't render evil for evil. Rather, he says, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. So what should I do if people are showing evil towards me? Then I ought to show kindness towards them. I ought to do good towards them. It's the same thing that was said in Romans. It's it's feeding your enemy when he's hungry. It's giving him something to drink. Do good. Every member should work hard at doing good. You know, it's my desire one day when we all look back over these years of ministry together as this body here at Arise Baptist Church, and we'd look back one day and we'd see all kinds of stories along the way of God taking people that from a human perspective, we might have said, I don't know if there's much potential there. I don't know how that's ever going to work out. I don't know if they'll ever change. I don't know how that's going to be fixed. And we'll be able to look back and say, wow, what a work of grace God did in that life. What a trophy of God's grace. What a testament to His power. What a miracle that God could turn their life around. You know, there's an old gospel song called It Took a Miracle, right? It's talking about the miracle that God saved me and may we never get over the miracle of our own salvation that God forgave me of my sin and He forgave you of your sin and He took us off the road to hell and put us on the road to heaven and He's given us eternal life. Someday we can look back and say, wow, look at what God has done. I don't want us to leave people behind and say, well... That must have been a spare part. <laughs> you know, they, they were just too weak, too feeble-minded, too timid. They, oh, they just could never get it figured out. There will be those that walk off and go their own way. There always are. But may it never be said of you or me that we didn't do our best to be patient. We didn't do our best to do good towards all men. We didn't do our best with the Lord's help to support those weak ones, to comfort those feeble-minded ones, to warn those who were unruly. I don't think you and I will be able to look back and say, well, we did it perfectly. But I do think we can look back if we'll walk faithfully with the Lord and say, wow, look at what God did. I'm so thankful that the Lord led us all the way. And I'm so thankful that even when we did make mistakes and we did retaliate when we shouldn't have and we didn't do everything we could have done for that person or the other person, that God was still faithful through it all. He gives us a great list of exhortations, a list of things that every believer, that every member of the church can do. You don't have to have a title. 
You don't have to have a fancy diploma to do any of these things. What you do have to have is the Holy Spirit at work in your life. You do have to have a relationship with God. But I want you to know tonight, maybe you say, well, Pastor, I hear that list of things, but if I'm honest, I, found my, I find myself on the list needing the comfort, needing the support, needing the warning. Well, take heed to that and then know that we want to be a church that does warn, that does comfort, that does support, that is patient. We won't always do it perfectly. And when we do it wrong, we'll try to make it right and apologize and tell you that we're sorry for not doing the right thing. But we want to keep pointing people to Jesus. And I hope that that's your desire as well. No spare parts in the body of Christ. He has a purpose for every single one of them. Jesus loved the whole world. He died for the whole world. God has a purpose for every person. So even when you see that little bit, like when we opened up that big Lego set and there were 1,969 pieces, we said, how in the world is this all going to come together? Somebody a whole lot smarter than me had already designed it. And you know what? God is way smarter than all of that. And he's already put this whole thing together. He knows exactly what it's supposed to be like. And he wants you to be right in your place, serving him faithfully with the body of Christ. And together, I believe we can see God do some wonderful things. Today, when we walk in, if you walked into my son's room, you could see that rocket. It's still put together. And it looks pretty neat. And you can open it up and you can see the various stages of it. You know, they have the first stage, second. They have the little capsule. There's little tiny astronauts inside of it. It's pretty neat to see this whole thing put together. And you know, in a much grander way, that's what the body of Christ is like. We come in and say, wow, how did that get put together? Boy, who thought of that? Where did that? Boy, I can't even believe that God took that person. And when you hear people's testimonies and hear how they got saved and hear what God did in their life, and you come away and say, what an incredible thing. Boy, there must be a big plan that God's at work in. God is always doing His work in His way and His time. And He, gets, and he does it through you and me. And that's really awesome because He doesn't have to do that. He said, even if we didn't call out, he could make the rocks cry out. And he has us here to do his work with him and for him and to him and through him. Father, we love you. And I'm so thankful that you have a plan that's much better than ours. But Lord, if we're going to live according to your plan, we have to confess our sin and be honest about our own weakness. We need to humble ourselves, Lord. Too often we try to get in control and we look at that lazy person or that weak person or that person who's going through a struggle and we don't have much patience for them. Lord, I'm so thankful that you've shown patience with me and with each one of us. Lord, may we walk closely with you to become more like Jesus. May the light of Christ shine through us to this world. Lord, may we live as you would have us to live so that together we can accomplish this great commission that you've put us on and that we do it all for your glory. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.